It's the Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Hey, good day. Welcome to the shorter version of the Country Hour today, lunchtime in the cricket from the SCG. Coming up, Tasmanian garlic could be in short supply this time around. Last year was a disastrous year for a lot of growers. Um, there are a number of growers who completely lost their crops to the wet. And this year, um, it's been better, but the very cool spring we've had has, has really decreased the size of most garlic. And a check on the first winner sale of the year. But first, let's check the latest on the weather with Luke Johnston from the Bureau. G'day, Luke. Good afternoon, Tony. How's look, the cricket going? Yeah, not too bad. One for 68 Australia at lunch. So uh, it's very cloudy there. Is it cloudy uh, all around Tasmania as well? Yeah, cloudy over just about the entire state and probably in an unexpected turn of events, Strawn's uh, looking like the most sunny place in Tasmania at the moment, but only just. Okay, rainfall figures, what have we got? All right, well, up to 9am, there's been plenty of uh, shower activity around the state. Not high totals by any means, but uh, mostly one to three millimetres about the place. But there were parts of the northwest that saw an increase in shower activity yesterday afternoon. And Yola and Wynyard and surrounding areas saw around 10 to 15 millimetres, but uh, Railton and Barrington had up to 25. Since 9am today, there's a few more light showers lingering underneath all this low cloud, but it hasn't gauged too much. There's been a few rain gauges that have ticked over about uh, some elevated sites, but uh, nothing, nothing too significant. And what's the outlook, Luke? All right, well, rest of today, uh, unsurprisingly, is going to be mostly cloudy. In Hobart now, we're starting to see some blue sky, but uh, it's going to be fairly short-lived. We're expecting uh, these light showers to continue uh, over most of the state, but eventually during this evening contract to just the north and northeastern part of uh, Tasmania, as well as redeveloping over the very far south, uh, southwest late this evening. So expect another two to five millimetres about the north and northeast, uh, mainly later today, and uh, one to three millimetres over the very far south. So Hobart looks like it should stay uh, dry for the remainder of today. Different story tomorrow, though. There'll be showers uh, extending over the southeast and north, uh, clearing from the south during the afternoon and evening. So tomorrow morning is going to be one of those days with lots of low cloud and almost it's be heavier than drizzle but probably not enough for you to think it's a heavy shower or anything like that so it'll just be a bit gross with with poor visibility so keep that in mind looking at uh, fairly widespread falls of two to five millimeters tomorrow with uh, as much as five to ten millimeters at some elevated sites a bit gross i like that a bit gross yeah well <laughs> there, there is hope though uh, gradually during the week the high pressure system that's driving all this weather will slip to our south and reside over the Tasman Sea for the weekend that's going to clear away a lot of this cloud and it looks like at this stage that Sunday could be mostly sunny and we'll have temperatures into the mid to high 20s, perhaps the low 30s in the upper Derwent Valley on Sunday. I think a lot of the farmers are looking for some sunshine. Yeah, yeah. Sun, Sunday, it's a, a weird coincidence when that happens, but Sunday is the Sunday. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Luke. <laughs> uh, warnings, what have we got? Well, no warnings today, uh, thanks to this high-pressure system. We did have a strong wind warning current earlier this morning, but uh, it's been since cancelled, and it looks like uh, no warnings for tomorrow either. Going forward into the, the coastal waters, uh, southwest to southeasterly winds today, 10 to 20 knots. Some afternoon sea breezes about northern coasts. Tomorrow, winds tend a bit more south to southeasterly. That's bringing the showers more onshore, but they will wrap around uh, onto the north coast during the day, so giving the risk of showers there as well. So becoming more variable about the north tomorrow. The swell about the west and south today, uh, west to southwesterly near three metres, currently three metres exactly on the significant wave height uh, on the west coast. Through Bass Strait, northeasterly to around one metre and a westerly around one metre. The east coast has got a northeasterly 
one and a half uh, metres, building to two metres in the north later today with a southerly around one metre tending southwesterly offshore in the south. Uh, significant wave height on the uh, east coast at the moment. It's about one and a half metres and it looks like swells will be just a touch lower tomorrow. I reckon uh, you've got a, an idea there. Well, maybe we should change the names of the days. Maybe we should have wet day, uh, hot day, <laughs> cold day. Would it work? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, was, I had this discussion with uh, Mel uh, this morning on the, oh, one of the breakfast show. Yeah. yeah, I said, like, I, I have no evidence to support this, but I'm pretty sure Sunday happens to be the sunniest day of the week. But I've got no evidence or no data to support that. I think I just look at the forecast for Sunday and feel like I see sun more often than not. Okay. I'll, I'll think right. about I'll think about it while we do the program. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Luke Johnston from the Bureau. Coast to coast. This is the Country Hour with Tony Briscoe on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Yeah, they're certainly looking for the heat in a lot of industries. It's the height of the garlic season in Tasmania, but consumers may find it hard to find locally grown bulbs because of another another tough year for growers. Tasman Peninsula Garlic Grower and one of the organisers of the Garlic Festival at Cunha, Jeff Dugan, says it's the second year in a row where some growers have struggled to get a decent garlic crop. Uh, another interesting year. Um, La Nina has really impacted uh, garlic and onions in general. Last year was a disastrous year for a lot of growers. Um, There are a number of growers who completely lost their crops to the wet. And this year um, it's been better, but the very cool spring we've had has has really decreased the size of most garlic. Um, Spring's a time when garlic puts on a lot of weight in those final weeks of um, growing. So, yeah, the cool spring has really held it back. The amount of rain we've had, has just been um, uh, deadly to a, to a lot of crops. Yeah, so it's the heat, the lack of heat. It's both the wet, yeah, the, the constant wet feet that, that garlic has had and um, and the cool spring, that, that, that combination of that. The other thing is garlic really doesn't like competition, so weeds are an anathema to garlic. And um, for a lot of people, like me included, it's been impossible to get to the weeding during during winter and uh, and early spring. So the weeds have gotten out of control. Is there much local garlic in the shops at the moment? There is a bit, yeah. It's um, I, I've noticed it around, um, and it's got a pretty hefty price because <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a lot of it this year. Um, I think we're going to be limited in supply and size as well. I mean, the, the garlic that is there, by and large, is not put on a, a great deal of size. I, I think some growers up the Coal Valley uh, have had a, a bit more luck with it because they didn't quite get the same amount of rain as uh, down south did or uh, on the east coast. Yeah. Is there a way you could grow it uh, via protected cropping? Not that I know of. Things like weed mat and weed gunnel, things like that really help with weed control. It's, it's the amount of moisture in the soil. So normally in any given season, I never water my garlic. I'm at Cunha, which we get a, a goodly amount of, um, you know, constant uh, rain anyway. But in all the years I've been growing it, I literally never watered it, um, never needed it. So um, there are areas where, you, you know, you'd need to water the garlic. But So watering would be a thing, covering it. It doesn't need cover. It just needs to be weed-free. And, and the, the funny thing is that the garlic would look the same above the soil, wouldn't it? It'd look strong and healthy. 
Yeah, 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 that's it, yeah. Yeah, so sometimes your plant can look really great, um, but if there's, again, too much moisture, you know, you get this rot going on underneath and various moulds and fusariums and fungus. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's funny, it's a, it's a great crop that doesn't need a whole deal of attention other than weeding and, and keeping, you know, keeping the moisture levels right. But um, those two things, if, they're, if you're not able to do that, you're in trouble. What are you hearing from other growers around? Are they having problems? Have people yeah. lost, lost their crops? Yeah, there, there are people I know that um, um, have, have had a lot of problems this year. And, and, and the common feedback is their crop's smaller than, you know, like the bulb size is smaller. It just hasn't had the time to, and the heat to um, put on any great size. So and then you've got to get it out of the ground before it begins to rot, you know. So Yeah. yeah. So what about the garlic festival this year? Oh, the garlic festival's going ahead. While we're on the uh, subject of the garlic festival, if anyone's listening and they want to go to the garlic festival, I really recommend that they get tickets. You can get them online at the Cunha Garlic Festival site. It looks like it'll be a sellout and it'll it's, you know, all ticketed. But we've got a we've got a um, much better number of growers this year than we did last year. We had a lot of people pull out just before the festival, so um, a lot of the feedback we got from people going to the festival was that you know what sort of a garlic festival is this? I couldn't buy garlic. We just didn't have the supplies, you know. Um, we didn't have the growers. But this year it looks like there'll be more. Nothing worse than a garlic festival without the garlic. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Um, yeah, it was disappointing. It was disappointing for us too, you know, the organisers of the festival that um, that we had and that, uh, that that those people pull out, which they, you know, they, they simply lost their crops. Yeah, make sure you've got garlic at the festival this year. Southern Tasmanian garlic grower Jeff Dugan on another tough growing season for many local growers because of the wet conditions and not enough heat around. Well, protein balls are a big fave of the vegan vegetarian community, but the CSIRO is experimenting with one based on a new product derived from meat. If it's developed further, it could provide an alternate source of iron and protein for people who can't get that from other foods because they're allergic to things like soy and gluten. David Clawton met up with Artie Tobin from the CSIRO and Chef Carlos Batista at the recent Ag Catalyst conference to do a taste test. So they're, they're brown and they're the size of a, you know, like a big marble or the protein balls that you usually find. What do you think, Andrew? Very nice. Chocolatey? Yeah. Chocolatey, peanut butter, I can taste that. Yeah. Can you taste the meat? No meat. Can't, cannot taste any meat at all. Artie Tobin, you're the involved in this project. What is the meat sauce? Um, so the burger mince type of thing you would buy from a supermarket. We've taken that mince, which is sort of... Um, uh, value so we're trying to value add to it so we've taken that means we've hydrolyzed it using enzymes hydrolyzed yeah so you basically use enzymes and you break down the protein into smaller chunks basically and you're solubilizing the protein in that way and solubilizing turning yeah. into water yeah basically into a liquid yes mm-hmm. so you put enzymes in there and they start sort of chopping the meat into smaller <laughs> protein chains so this is not like take hamburger mince and grind it up and chuck it into a ball no 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 it's nothing like that so what we do is we take the meat and then we hydrolyze it then we make it go through different processes to kind of extract the fat out or the flavor compounds out and things like that and then we end up into this white powder that you see okay, so this we- is a bit like you know i've seen um with grains, they extract all the different elements from the grains That's and right. turn it into different constituent parts and yep. then mm-hmm. here you are, you can put it into all sorts yeah. of things. Okay. 
So basically, as you know, meat needs to be kept chilled, right? And we have like a big chunk of the animal. Like if you take a whole animal, only 45% of that animal is meat. And of that 45%, only 20% is your steak cuts, right? So the other amount of meat is low value. Or on the other side, there's a lot of waste streams. So what we're trying to do with the meat industry from a, even a sustainability point of view is trying to utilize all the protein that's still in the other 55% or the lower value meat and trying to make these kind of protein powders sort of, you know, reducing waste plus value adding for the industry as well. But, you know, protein balls, and I might bring in Carlos Batista here, he's the... Chef, that's right. Protein balls, like they're kind of like the vegan thing, aren't they? You know, people who need a source of protein but don't want to eat meat. I think it's for people looking for a protein boost. For example, uh, people that exercise a lot and they need an extra bit of protein, muscle building, anything to supplement what the protein intake that they already have. So, so you're not expecting vegans to pick up these meat protein? No, we'll have to make sure on the ingredient list, as you see here, that it's got mm. protein powder. The reason the meat protein is it takes you away from the allergens, like soya is an allergen, right? Oh, right. You have your, your dairy whey protein has lactose, so there's allergen, there's gluten. So in meat, we don't have any of those things. And also this powder has iron in there as well. So it's from got, the meat? Yeah, yeah, so the, uh, wow. so from the process. So it's got a lot of nutritional advantages, yeah. right? So people could use this as an ingredient and do like-for-like like replacement of the whey protein or soy proteins in their formulations as well. That's Artie Tobin from the CSIRO ending that report by David Clawton from the Ag Catalyst Conference in Sydney recently talking about the new product derived from meat, protein balls. Uh, the CSIRO has to commercialise the protein powder so those Protein balls are not available commercially yet, but look out for the future. Well, it might be a quiet time for many people this week on holidays, but for one livestock agent in Tasmania, it's one of the busiest weeks of the year. Greg Harris from Elders is busy helping to get thousands of lambs ready for the annual Tamar lamb sale tomorrow. I spoke to Greg a short time ago. So tomorrow we'll have five, a bit over 5,000. It'll be at the Tamar Valley one. Um, at, at Weymouth Farm, and then we'll, there's uh, 1,800 or so at uh, Greenhithe over near the Batman Bridge. What sort of preparations are going into um, the lead-up to the sales? Uh, how, how busy have you been? Well, this, today's probably a busy day. This is the day we'll bring them all in and take them all off use, and then we'll weigh everything. Everything gets weighed into a five-kilo increment, so everything goes over through the draft, auto-drafters and, um, and set up. So everything's all weighed and, and, and sort of weaned off the night on, into paddocks and, and ready to go for the morning. Now, this Tamar yep. Valley lamb sale is the 21st time uh, it's been held. Have you been there every year? Yep, yep, yep. been here since the start, yes. So starting to get it down pat now. <laughs> what brought it on in the first place? Um, what was the idea behind it and, and why, you know, the first week of the new year? Well, just to, just to rolls in, um, both the main vendors that started it off, their shearing is through December, it didn't work then, and the lambs are probably a bit young, and and it sort of just fell into where we were now in this first time. Um, it was just the area that they're in, it's not fattening country. They try, We tried, um, we've both been trying to finish a few lambs and it wasn't working, you know, like it was the cost of doing it. So they do a job where they sell a whole lot of their lambs, a whole drop, everything apart from the unfit lambs. So anything that's sort of not health-wise, whether it be an undershot jaw or swollen joints, they check everything, they all come out. So every other lamb goes in the sale and they just quit the lot, then deal with their use for the rest of the year. So just keeping it simple, 
not needing as much workforce or anything to run it. Um, so they basically just run a, a, a an operation. They just produce as many lambs as they can in the time and, and go. And it's a sort of a rolling sale that goes across a couple of properties. Yep. What, what sort of people, um, what sort of numbers are you expecting? Um, so we'll have 5,000 here at Tamer Valley. That's with the two vendors, the Weymouth uh, Farm Pastoral and the Effingham Proprietary Limited ones. They'll be here. There'll be a bit over 5,000 of those. And then we go to Greenhithe which is another member of that Archer family, of course, over near the Batman Bridge, and they'll have 100 and, 1,800, rather, 1,800 of the Cashmore Oakley composite lambs and mostly weather lambs. Mm. What about the numbers yeah. of buyers that you're expecting to turn up? Yeah, we, we, we naturally, of course, doing it for 21 years, you've got a lot of regulars that come back and buy the same sort of lamb. You know, they know the lambs, they know how good they are, they know what they do. So you do get a lot of repeat buyers, but generally you have, you know, there's a fair, always a fair bit of interest in them, in them because, I mean, at this stage, they're probably the best, you know, some of the best line of second cross lambs that you'll get to present it in an auction anyway. Mm. And the prices um, this time around, what are you expecting? What, what was it like last year? What sort of prices were they? Um, I think their last year, you know, they, they were a little easier on the year before was probably the biggest year they've ever had. And then they was a bit easier last year. This, this year, I mean, certainly with the... The kill price and the whole economy and everything around the world and whatever that's going on, it, we yeah we are expecting it to be certainly cheaper than than it has been. And um, when your kill price is, is back, you know twenty dollars ahead or where thereabouts, like you got to expect the store price back too. So yeah, they're 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 willing. They'll, they'll accept that it will be it will be a little bit cheaper. Mm. And next week it continues. You've got that Tunbridge Circuit sheep sale yeah. uh, in the Midlands, and you've also got the Corridale sale. Are they still popular? Yeah, well, that's um, that's that's the first. This is going to be, <laughs> this is in our inaugural sale. This is where our first circuit sale down there, which we have on three properties, and they're all within probably a kilo, uh, two or three kilometres of each other, just south of Tunbridge. So we'll do the Brooklands, which are in that, which have always sold their on property sale every year. Then we go to Warringah, which is the Webster family, and do their sheep. They're mostly merinos and uh, border cross ewes lambs. So that'll. They're new to the game. That's a circuit. And then we'll go to the the, the to Meriton, which is right opposite at Woodbury Lane, and that's where we'll do the Corridale feature sale, which is generally a uh, sheep that would normally be in that Tunbridge sheep sale. And I mean, I, they're as good at Corridales as you'll find in Australia. And that's yeah. No, we're going to do it an on-property sale, so that you know, basically for you know the biosecurity and the the name to keep that Tunbridge name of them there. So that was the whole idea behind it. Um, yeah, so they'll be sort of pushing 8,000 odd, odd sheep on that day next Wednesday. Mm. So when does Greg Harris get a break? Uh, when come that Friday, you won't see me for a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is, too, Tony, that following that Tunbridge sale, will be Oakland's, Oakland's lamb sale, which um, is generally like one of the bigger lamb sales will be on that next, on the Thursday. Yeah, so if anybody is interested, in, you know, in knowing what's going to be at Oaklands, just keep in touch with their agents because the numbers will roll in from now on in. I mean, it could be up towards 10,000 lambs there, I don't know, but we'll, that's what we're expecting anyway. Yeah, very busy time of the year for Elders Livestock Agent Greg Harris getting the lambs ready for tomorrow's Tamar lamb sale. And a similar event next week in the Midlands and also at uh, Powrenna on Friday. Well, it is the first Wednesday of the new year. Normally, we do speak to Richard Bailey, get all the livestock details for you. Richard will be back on the Country Hour on Friday. In the meantime, the first wiener sale of the season was held yesterday at Wodonga. 
in Victoria. Director of Ray White Rural and Livestock in Albury, James Brown, has details of that sale, which he says saw all the cattle offered sold to very keen buyers. We had an exceptionally good run of grown steers and weaner steers in, in our offering uh, for day one here at NVLX. There was a good good buying competition, probably from certainly the local area, but, but those, uh, those what come accustomed to our January sales from, from uh, northern parts of New South Wales in the, in the southern Queensland as well. We, uh, we, only, we had shy of 1,100 cattle in total, a few people. Once we got all the uh, drafting gate over the last few days, there's a few few people held a few steers back. There's been the lighter end; they haven't come through the spring as as well as uh, anticipated, just with the with the uh, moisture that was around. Yeah, yeah, all sold, all sold, and and, and sold very well. Like our our feeder steers, I suppose, are, are on trend as where they were pre-Christmas in the end uh, up at around the 470 uh, cents per kilo mark. Um, and, and back a little bit from there once we got off the Angus steers into, into coloured steers. How would you describe the cattle this season? What kind of condition are they in? Cattle are presenting very well. Um, there's, there's the lead of our weaner steers where oh, tick over 375 kilos um, and, and a lot of cattle, probably 320 to 340 odd, odd kilo in the weaner section and presenting very well. The guys that have um, yard weaned their cattle and, and have just taken that bit of bloom off them but you can certainly see the frame and the potential, potential in the cattle and, and our guys, the buyers from uh, from away, certainly uh, like all the cattle, cattle to be weaned that they're purchasing. And so, what are the buyers looking for and the talk around? Oh, look, we had a very good offering of, of sort of heavier yearling, uh, 14, 15 month old steers in, in, in feeder weight. So we had um, a fair few of the major major feedlot players here uh, looking and, and bidding. Only a few of them sort of. Took, took home the chocolates, but they were certainly all here uh, in, inspecting and, and bidding at, at, at their price levels. A few guys are still, I suppose, readjusting where they want to be coming into the new year. But, um, yeah, as I said, their feeder steers certainly still sold, sold to market trend pre-Christmas. And I guess it's been a really wet year last year, 2022. You know, it'll be a year we all think about the rain and the water. Has that has the weather had a big impact on the season for producers this year, have you found? I think if... We've, we've producers from from you know Tumbarama to the other side of Aubrey have probably all found it a little bit difficult with the weather that we've had. We've come through the spring with not a lot of sunshine and a lot of rain. The cattle haven't had time to to do as well as as what they'd normally do through that later part of the spring into in towards December when it does heat up and there's a bit of bit of bulk in the feed. It it sort of cut out very short this year. Cattle still presented well, but certainly haven't stacked the blade on it. That later part of the spring is what they'd usually do. There's still a lot more to be sold as the week goes on. Uh, do you think prices and your sale will be affected by going early? No, not, not necessarily. I, I, I um, doesn't matter who goes first. The first sale always after the new year. There are certainly people that like to sit back and see how things open up. But I, I think there's, you know, we're not certainly not disappointed with what we've achieved here today. Um, you know, being on trend where they were pre-Christmas. You can't ask for much more than that. But there's always a, the talk in the media leading into Christmas that you see prices back into back off what we've seen uh, 21, 22 levels. And, I mean, yeah, that's certainly evident. But I, uh, it certainly seems to be on trend what, what we've seen in December. I guess what's the outlook on the beef market right now, do you think? Look, there's, there's been a bit of rain in the US and some of the drought-affected country. It's a question where I wish I had a crystal ball and I assume every agent and every producer would... Would like that crystal ball sitting on their uh, on their kitchen table. So, I think as we as we move through over the next month or two, yeah, it, it's it's a recent period. 
traditional cycle of where we are in the beef market, I suppose. What what has been a massive rise over the last two years and coming around for a reset in that in that cycle. Lastly, James, what was the mood like in the crowd? Oh, upbeat, positive, yeah. Mm. All, all, all getting over their Christmas cheer and, and still uh, still throwing their hands about wanting to buy a few cattle. Yeah, there you go. James Brown from Ray White Rural and Livestock in Albury talking to Annie Brown with details of the first winner sale of the season at Wodonga yesterday. Uh, 1,100 cattle sold, all sold, and by the end of this week, around 27,000 wieners will be sold at Wodonga and Wangaratta, the first of the wiener sales of the year. And as I say, our livestock reporter Richard Bailey will be back with us on Friday on the short version of the Country Hour at lunchtime in the cricket uh, with details of uh, what's going on in the livestock markets. We've got our wiener sales coming up locally in a couple of months' time, so uh, Richard will tell us all about that. Uh, by the way, if you go to ABC Rural Online, you'll see a great story from Erin Cooper-Douglas about the sensory garden in the North Tasmanian winery, helping drinkers get a, a better idea of what the taste is like of the wine. Don't forget, the cricket is on the next two days. We'll have the country hour, lunchtime in the cricket at 12.40, both tomorrow and on Friday. Catch you then.